All right, church, we come now to the preaching of the Word of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll continue in our study of Deuteronomy together as a church this morning. And before we open God's Word, read God's Word, hear God's Word, we're going to ask for God's help again. We're going to pray together as the church. We're going to ask for God to bless us this morning by his spirit and through his word. Let's do that now. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we ask God that you would remind us even now of our desperate need for the Holy Spirit, Lord. And God, we proclaim to you that you are all we need, Lord. Your wisdom is all we need. Your your sufficiency is all we need. Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory this morning. We pray, God, that you would give us posture, the posture of servants today. That posture that bows before you as king and trembles at your word. Lord, give us hearts not only to hear what you say, but to be doers of the word and lovers of Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, come to us, God. And we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to stand. To stand. We are going to begin our time with reading God's word together. And we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning of Deuteronomy 18. This is the most important words you're going to hear in the next hour. These are the only words that are God-breathed words from heaven without error. All scripture is breathed out by God. So hear the word of the Lord today. Deuteronomy 18, verse 1. The Levitical priest, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel... They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice. Whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and your wine and your oil, And the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all the tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord. Him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives. And he may come whenever he desires to the place that the Lord will choose. And he ministers in the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. 
You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said... Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will, will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how, we, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. You may be seated. As a 12-year-old kid in 1996, I got to participate in the Olympic torch relay ceremony. The torch was coming through my city in Arlington, Texas, making its way to Atlanta, Georgia. And the one thing that the organizers of this relay drilled into me is don't botch the moment when you pass this torch to the next person. And talk about pressure for a kid, right? Who wants to be known as the kid who dropped the flaming Olympic torch? Okay? It's a critical moment. One of the most critical moments in any institution, in a nation, in an organization, in a team, in a church, or in a family is the moment when a leader of that institution passes the torch to the next one who is supposed to carry it. There's a, there are a thousand perils that can happen in that moment, and botching the passing of that torch can lead to the decline and even the death of that institution. There's a way that we can view the entire book of Deuteronomy as Moses preaching his own funeral sermon, okay? In fact, the last chapter is all about the death of Moses, okay? He's not going into the land. And so in this whole book, he is preparing the next generation to enter into the promised land after he passes off the scene in Israel. He's preparing the nation for his death. 
This is Moses' attempt, the book of Deuteronomy, to pass the torch of leadership on to the next generation in Israel. And an important aspect of securing that future for the people of God is passing on an effective leadership structure for the people of God. When Moses passes away, who's going to lead the people? And so this morning, we find ourselves again in a section of Deuteronomy that is laying out the leadership structure for this nation. Think about where we've been the last two weeks. Chapter 17, Moses lays out the role of the judges and then the role of the kings in Israel. And this morning in chapter 18, we're going to continue with two more of these offices, the office of priest in Israel and the office of prophet in Israel. So we have four offices in this section, judge, king, priest, and prophet. And these are going to be the leaders, these officers that are going to carry Israel into this Moses-less future. Okay? These are going to be the men and the officers that lead this nation. And one thing is certain, okay? Moses is going to die. God's word's already been pronounced there, okay? But his word is going to live on in Israel. The law of Moses, in a very real sense, is going to rule this nation. One commentator summarized this well with this phrase... Moses is dead, long live the Torah. Okay? The mediator of the word of God is going to pass off the scene, but the word of God is going to go into that land and it's going to reign in Israel as the supreme standard. And so what we have in this section is the wisdom of God. God is going to rule this nation, but this is not going to be a leaderless nation. Okay, there's going to be officers in this nation. God's going to rule Israel through these judges, these kings, these priests, and these prophets. But he's going to rule through them as they submit to his word. And so think about the attention and the centrality that the word of God is given in this section that describes the polity in Israel, the leadership structure. What are the judges to do in Israel? Well, Moses says they're not supposed to be, you know, making up whatever seems best to them. What does God say? What does Moses say about the judges? He says justice and only justice. That's the standard of the judges in Israel. They're, what are they doing? They're enforcing the law of Moses. They're enforcing the word of God. What are the roles of the kings in Israel? Okay? They're not like other ancient Near Eastern monarchs that have supreme power in the land. Moses, in great detail, places the king of Israel under a superior standard, the Torah, the law of the Lord. In fact, in the last chapter, Moses commands that the kings of Israel, they read their Bible every single day of their life so that they would learn to fear the Lord and obey all of his commandments. What do the priests in Israel do? We're going to talk more about this this morning, but they're the teachers of the law of God, the law of Moses 
in Israel. They don't minister in their own name. They minister in the name of the Lord. And then we come to the prophets in Israel. And again, they don't get to speak whatever pops into their mind. They are governed and regulated and restricted to only speak what God has spoken. And even in our passage, Moses says the prophet who does otherwise will die in Israel. And so one of the things we gather just by the broad strokes of this section, chapter 16, 17, and 18, is that Israel must not be led by lawless men. They have to be led by men who submit their lives, their minds, their hearts to the law of Moses. And whether it's the judge or the king or the priest or the prophet, if any of them refuse the word of the Lord, they forfeit their right to leadership in Israel. And so God will rule this nation through these officers, but he will do so through his word. Moses is dead. Long live the Torah. We will cover this passage under three headings this morning. Priest, pretenders, and prophets. That's where we're headed in Deuteronomy 18. We'll start with the priest. Moses tells us in verse 1 that because these priests were Levites, they had no portion in the land inheritance of Israel. Meaning that when that land was allotted out, okay, after the Canaanites are going to be conquered... And each tribe is given their allotment. Levi is not going to receive an allotment of land like the other 11 tribes. Yet, this did not mean that they didn't receive an inheritance. It just meant that they received their inheritance in a very unique way, in a way distinct from the other 11 tribes. Look at verse 1. Moses says the Levites, the Levitical priest... They shall eat the, food, the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. And so because the Lord was their inheritance, they were sustained by the gifts that the other 11 tribes, the tithes and offerings that the other 11 tribes presented to the Lord, those gifts were used to sustain the Levites. That's their inheritance. Because the Lord is their inheritance... The gifts given to the Lord in the temple were gifts given to the Levites. In verses 6 through 8, Moses even makes provision for Levites who are living out in the Levitical cities scattered throughout the land. If one of those Levites decides to relocate to the temple, Moses even makes provision for that Levite who relocates to serve in the temple to have equal portion with his brother priest. They have a right to these offerings. So one of the things to notice here as Moses is setting up this nation to pass the torch is he's making provision, support, and livelihood for these leaders in Israel. The law did not destine the priest to poverty. Okay? Provision was made for their livelihood. Look at verse 3. Moses goes as far as to call these gifts to the Levites. He goes as far as to call them the Levites, the priests, do from 
the people. It's something that the, the Israelites owed their priest. Okay? It was a wage owed and it was a gift given. And, and why does Moses hold out this obligation for Israel to support its leaders? Look at verse 5. It's because of the holy work that these Levites are called to do. He says it this way in verse 5. God has chosen the Levites to stand and minister in the name of the Lord. And because of that role and that holy work that they are set apart to do in Israel, Moses says to support these Levites. This is, this is like the third or fourth reminder in several chapters where he exhorts Israel, don't forget the Levites. Now, the Levites' ministry in the name of the Lord, they stand and they minister in the name of the Lord. This is really twofold in the Old Testament. You could summarize everything that the Levite does in these two phrases. Number one, they are teachers of the law of God. And number two, they are ministers in the temple of God. And we see a really... A clear summary of their ministry and of their work. At the very end of Deuteronomy, we have the blessing, again repeated from the book of Genesis, the blessing given to the 12 tribes of Israel. And when that blessing is given to the tribe of Levi, listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 33, verse 10. This is to the Levites. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law, they shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. What do the Levites do? They teach the law of God in Israel and they minister in the temple of the Lord. And Moses says because of the nature of this holy work, they are to be supported. The, the food offerings given to the Lord is their inheritance in Israel. Now, one of the things that you may have noticed, and I believe this is intentional in the New Testament, is when we transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, no New Testament church leader is ever referred to by the title priest. Okay? This is one of the quibbles in the, in the Protestant Reformation okay? uh, and the recovery of the priesthood of all believers. Now, I believe that's an intentional thing. Okay, that New Testament leaders, pastors, elders, overseers are never referred to as priests in the New Testament. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that only Jesus carries this title in the church. He is the great high priest of the people of God. There is no other beside him. There is no other that can replace him. Jesus is the high priest. And then the New Testament tells us that there's a sense in the New Covenant where all the people of God are now referred to as the royal priesthood of the Lord. In this sense, through the work of Jesus Christ, we don't have mediators that go between us and the living God. We have direct access 
Hebrews calls it a new and living way has been opened for us through the curtain, through the death of Christ. And we are commanded, invited to come and draw near to even the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus. We have this wonderful access to God. No go-betweens, no present offerings in the temple to priesthood anymore. Jesus is our priest. And none stands between Jesus and every believer in Jesus Christ. And so, the mediatorial role that the Levitical priest played in the Old Testament has fallen away. However, the teaching role of the law of God and the serving role of the people of God continues in the leaders of the New Testament church, and so does the obligation to support such leaders. The Apostle Paul tells us that some of the elders of the church are to be financially set apart in order to labor in preaching and teaching. And just like Moses called for the Levites due, Paul calls for the pastor's wages. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Listen to 1 Timothy 5. Verses 17 and 18, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so we see these principles that Moses is laying out in Deuteronomy 18, they carry over. They carry over into the New Covenant. Let me give you one more example of this. It is no coincidence, okay, in Romans 15, the same chapter that Paul asked for financial support for the church in Rome, uh, that missionary support. He wanted that church to send him on his way to Spain. In that same chapter, no coincidence here, Paul refers to his missionary work In these terms, the priestly service of the gospel. Paul, how would you summarize what you're doing here, getting the gospel to the nations? One of the ways that the Apostle Paul would summarize his work in the church is the priestly service of the gospel. In other words, the Apostle Paul viewed the, the work of teaching pastors and missionary laborers as analogous to the work of the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. Not in the sense that they are mediators, but in the sense that they're carrying forward this teaching and this serving work amongst the people of God. And Paul concludes that these roles should be supported by the people of God in the new covenant. It is true that the apostle Paul at times in his ministry he foregoed this right to compensation. That's true. But it is also true that this is the exception and not the rule in the church of Jesus Christ. And so there's an important lesson here that Moses is laying out for the people of God, for Israel. As the torch is passed to the next generation, Israel has to learn how to highly esteem and support those who are called to minister in the name of the Lord. Every generation has to learn that lesson. 
Every generation has to learn this lesson. Supporting ministers of the gospel will always be a mark of holiness for the church of Jesus Christ until Jesus returns. So this is a lesson to be learned in every generation. These are the priests. Next, Moses transitions from these legitimate representatives of God, the priests, the Levitical priests, verse 5, chosen to stand and minister in the name of the Lord. And then he transitions beginning in verse 9 to these illegitimate representatives of God, these pretenders. Let's read verses 10 and 11 again together. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. It's almost like Moses is trying to just, just, just write down every word that comes to mind when he's thinking in this category of dark magic and pagan, and, and, and it's like uh, necromancers, yeah, that one too. Sorcerers, yeah, that one too. Those who inquire of the dead, yep, abomination as well. Every, every abominable practice of the Canaanites. And so just like learning to esteem and support leaders in every generation is critical, every generation has to also relearn what, the sta- what are the standards here. Okay? If we are to live by the word of God, and that's what we're to do, not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh, from the mouth of the Lord. If we are to live by the word of God like bread for our souls then a really necessary question to answer is, well, what is the Word of God? Okay, What is the Word of God? And one of the things to remember here, this is our doctrine of human depravity, Okay, guiding and guarding the way that we read the Bible. Our doctrine of depravity reminds us that in our fallen state, there is a deep-seated desire in every human heart to pry into hidden things, okay? In fact, later in Deuteronomy, Moses is going to give us two categories. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Things revealed and the hidden things. Things revealed belong to us. Hidden things belong to the Lord our God. And so in our depravity, we have this great tendency not to be content with the things, to re- the things revealed but to pry into the hidden things that are not revealed, even the forbidden things. And this was deeply felt in the ancient world, the context of this commandment. Israel was surrounded by the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. And there was this deep felt need of, we need to hear from the gods. Okay, whatever the circumstance was, what do the gods say? You're going to battle, what do the gods say? Who's the next king, what do the gods say? Am I going to have a baby? What do the gods say? Are my fields going to have fruitful crops this year? What do the gods say? There was this deep felt impulse uh, of prying into uh, hidden things. And it is out of that rebellious impulse that these 
forbidden practices in verses 10 and 11 were created. And not only were the practices created as time went on, there were various experts in these dark rituals that began to make a name for themselves. So side by side with the true priesthood, you could find this false priesthood or this forbidden priesthood among the Canaanites, the sorcerers, okay? Those who inquire of the dead, those who are practicing the dark magic. Look at verse 10. Moses prohibits child sacrifice, okay? And that comes in a long list of terms referring to these pagan rituals. And all of this is designed to control or to influence a certain outcome. That's the difference in what we're about to talk about in just a moment. The prophetic word submits to God. Magic attempts to, uh, to control the gods, to influence the gods, to tip the scales in your favor. They are really acts that try to deify man by taking control of the gods. And if I do this certain thing, if I say this certain spell, if I take this certain potion, the gods have to favor me or they have to reveal something to me or they have to speak to me in some way. This is magic. An example of this is found in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 26. Children of Israel are in battle with the Moabites. And the Bible says that in this moment where the Moabites are losing this battle, the king of Moab takes his oldest son, the heir to the throne of Moab, and in that moment where they are losing the battle, he sacrifices the son on the wall. And this was an attempt in that moment to turn the tide of the battle, uh, appealing to the gods, God, uh, telling the, those you know, ancient Canaanite gods that, that uh, I, I've given all for you, you have to bless me now. Okay, this is the idea. Magic provokes the Lord to anger. It's an abomination to the Lord because it's an attempt to control the Lord. It attempts to pry into hidden things. It refuses to live content and obedient with the things that have been revealed by God. And there are many different modern forms of these ancient practices today. Okay? All over the world. They, they repackage, represent themselves. An example of this would be New Age mysticism is no different. The heart is no different that practices those things, that practices these things. Okay? So this is still around in our modern world, and it's still an abomination to God. Look at what Moses says in verse 14. He draws that, that stark contrast, that line in the sand, with these words. But as for you, so the nations that they're about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and diviners, okay? Pretend uh, priesthood, pretend prophets. Verse 14, Moses says, But as for you, you are not allowed to do this, okay? You can't do that, is what he tells Israel. That will wreck this nation. If part of the reason that God is driving out the Canaanites from the land is they go after these other gods and these forbidden practices, if you do that, God's going to drive you out of the land. Instead, 
Look at verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So I want you to notice the flow here. Okay, What does the context tell us? Verse 14, Moses says, don't listen to them. That's what the nations do. Don't listen to fortune tellers. Verse 15, listen to him. Listen to the prophet that God's going to raise up. So we have this contrast in verse 14 and 15. The nations have their magic, but Israel has its prophets. This is the provision that's made for the Moses-less future in Israel. They're going to live by the word of the prophets. The people of God are, ex- are to expect this of the true prophets that God raises up. They're going to be like Moses. Okay? They're going to be like Moses. Moses is the standard by which all those who follow Moses are judged. They're going to be like Moses. They must be like Moses. I'll mention several ways here. They will be like Moses in doctrine. Okay? So one of the ways that the prophets are going to be judged in Israel is what is their doctrine? What do they teach? And so, if a prophet arises in Israel and preaches in the name of other gods, guess what? Not like Moses. Okay? Not like Moses. They will be like Moses not only in doctrine, but also in character. If a prophet rises in Israel, claims to be a prophet, and he's ungodly, he's an ungodly man. An example of this would be like this like the uh, 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 apostate priests, the sons of Eli, just ungodly men. Guess what? Not like Moses. Not like Moses. Failed the standard. And most importantly, they will be like Moses, not only in doctrine, not only in character, but in function. Look at what, what Moses says in verse 18. I will put my words in his mouth. This is what's fundamentally different about true religion and false religion. Okay, this is the line in the sand. All that other stuff in the previous paragraph, that's makeup stuff. That's make-believe stuff. That's pretenders. That's magic. That comes right out of the mind of a man speaking his own words. It has no power. It's demonic in nature. That's human speculation. But then Moses transitions. But this is fundamentally different. This is fundamentally different. God is going to put his word in the mouths of men. In the mouths of men. And this is the nature of true prophecy. Prophets will arise in Israel and they will speak the word of God like Moses spoke the word of God. In other words, true prophets have the mouths of men but they speak the words of the living God. Words from another world. Not human speculation, but divine revelation from heaven. The Apostle Peter says it this way. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. He describes the prophetic word in this way. He says this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways that God is going to lead this nation is he's going to move holy men. He's going to carry along holy men, the prophets of Israel, and they're going to speak the very words of God. This is why prophecy is prefaced in the Old Testament with this phrase, thus says the Lord. And the, and the words that come after that are received in Israel not as the words of Isaiah, not as the words of mere Jeremiah, not as the words of Daniel, but as the words of the living God. These are words from the God of Israel spoken through the mouth of his servants, the prophets. And this helps us, the nature of prophecy, helps us understand why the corruption of prophecy carries such a heavy sentence in Israel. Okay? Moses says it really clear in verse 20. If you speak a presumptuous word, a false word in the name of God, Moses says you're dead. That prophet shall die. This is serious business. Why? Because the nation is supposed to live upon that word. Okay? And false prophecy corrupts the speech of the living God. It distorts the true words of the God who cannot lie, who cannot err. Now, if you understand the nature of true prophecy, that true prophecy is the word of God in the mouths of men, and you understand that it carries the authority of God himself in the sense of to believe the words of a true prophet is to believe God, and the opposite of that, to reject the words of a true prophet is to what? Reject God. Okay? And it will be required of us. You can, under, you can appreciate this position of the Israelite in verse 21. Like, man, if true prophecy carries that much authority, that whatever I do with the words of the true prophet is counted as me doing it unto the Lord, man, how can I know? How can I know, like, if a prophet is prophesying in the name of the Lord, how can I know it's really the words of the Lord? You can appreciate that. I don't want to get this wrong here, okay? And Moses answers that question, how do I know, by giving us a test with the criteria of fulfillment. In other words, the test of a true prophet in Israel is the fulfillment of their prediction coming to pass. Okay? And this is how, if you pay attention to the Old Testament, this is how prophets are raised up. This is how they are established in Israel, that they would be established and looked to, indisputably established as a prophet of the Lord, because they would make predictions and then the predictions would come to pass in other words they established a record over time this is not a a, a newbie rookie novice just you know uh, blabberings in the name of the lord this is someone with a true proven established record an example of this is found in first samuel chapter three this is first uh, samuel chapter three verses 19 and 20 listen to this and samuel grew 
and the Lord was with him, and the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. So this is how it worked. Okay, This is how it worked. The normative means, the way that you would know, man, this is a true prophet, is a record over time of prediction fulfillment. The Lord didn't let any of his words fall to the ground, and the effect was, man, all Israel knew, this man is established as a prophet in Israel. Some uh, theologians today teach uh, a concept known as fallible prophecy in the New Testament. That, yeah, but this this other kind of prophecy in the New Testament, this fallible form of prophecy. What I want you to see is everything we know that undermines everything we know about prophecy in the Bible. The prophecy is the word of God and the mouths of men. It's not 90% true, 10% false, and sift out the false from the true. Okay, False prophets speak error in the name of the Lord. True prophets speak truth in the name of the Lord. Of the Lord. And this fulfillment test in Deuteronomy 18, this would have been a great comfort for the people of God because it, it gave you a standard from Moses, the man of God, of who you don't have to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of these pretenders who just make stuff up and say, man, judgment's coming tomorrow. You don't have to fear these men that haven't been established by the Lord in Israel. So this is a comfort for the people of God. So we have a prophecy here in verse 15 and again in verse 18 from Moses that the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like him in Israel. And one of the things that we can notice as we read our Old Testament and we see the history of Israel unfold is we never really see a fulfillment of this prophecy in the Old Testament. We see prophets raised up, and we see prophets come and go in Israel. And sometimes we see mighty prophets raised up. Many prophets come, but none arises on the same level as Moses in the Old Testament. This is an unfulfilled prophecy at the close of the Old Testament. One of the things I want to point out is the Old Testament itself sets apart Moses from every other prophet. In the Old Testament. Listen to, to Numbers chapter 12. Is there a prophet among you? I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. And I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. In other words, the Old Testament itself puts Moses in this special category, okay? Um, and, and he is unique, uh, not in the sense of he's distinguished from all of Israel, he's distinguished from all of Israel's prophets, Okay? God speaks to Moses. Moses has intimacy with God. And he has perceived the word of God with a clarity 
that, that is unsurpassed by any other in the Old Testament. In this way, Moses becomes a category by himself. Okay? And so the prophecy is pointing us forward. It's pointing us beyond just that steady succession of God raising up prophets in Israel. We're actually being pointed beyond that to another unique one like Moses being raised up in Israel. And the final word of Deuteronomy is a reference back to this prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. And it describes this as an unfulfilled prophecy in Israel. Listen to it. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. None like Moses has come, the Old Testament says. There's a hint in our passage, verse 16, of exactly, more specifically, how will this prophet be like Moses? Look at verse 16. Deuteronomy 18, verse 16, the first two words, just as just as so verse 15 the prophet's going to come he's going to be like Moses verse 16 just as and the very next thing that Moses describes is the whole encounter at Mount Sinai Horeb the mountain of God where Moses became the mediator of the old covenant at the people's request to not hear from God directly they asked Moses to be the go-between between, between sinful nation and holy God. Moses takes up that role of the mediator of the old covenant. The one who would stand in the presence of God on top of the mountain and come down the mountain and proclaim the word of God to the people. That mediatorial role. And so more specifically than prophets in general... Israel was to expect one to arise that would again take up this mediatorial role, this go-between role in Israel, this one who would, like Moses, stand between sinful man and holy, holy God. This prophecy was seen as messianic during the intertestamental period after the close of the canon in the Old Testament and before the prophets began to speak in the New Testament, they began to view this prophecy as, as a prophecy of the Messiah. And in fact, you see that as the Gospels are being written, one of the questions, this is John chapter 1, one of the questions that the religious leaders, they come and ask John the Baptist, is they say this, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? They're talking about this passage right here, this long-expected voice, this long-expected prophet like Moses. And they come to John and they say, are you him? And John says, no, I'm not the prophet. One of the things that is said about the Lord Jesus Christ, this is right after he feeds 5,000 in the wilderness with a few loaves of bread. This is John chapter 6. It says, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one. This is the prophet like Moses. In other words, in Deuteronomy 
18, Moses is speaking about Jesus Christ. Moses is writing about Jesus. Jesus told us in John 5, Moses spoke about me. This is one of the places where Moses is speaking about Jesus, listen, over a thousand years before the birth of Christ. I mean, prophecy, church, prophecy is amazing. Prophecy is amazing. These are promises made a millennia before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And the people of God were instructed, look for the, for the arrival of a prophet like Moses. The Apostle Peter preaches Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken. From Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Church, we live in the days of fulfillment. In the days of God spoke this by the prophets and then God fulfilled this in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Christian hymns, and I don't even know if we're going to sing this tonight, is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the reason I love that, that, that language is it's this longing from the perspective of Israel of old this longing for this Messiah, this promised one, to come. Lord, let him come. This one that you've spoken of from ancient of days, let him come. And we get that perspective of, you came, you came, Emmanuel. We live in the days of fulfillment. The days of the, the rising up, the arrival of the prophet like Moses. And the New Testament tells us not only is Jesus like Moses, he's also greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. He is the mediator of an everlasting covenant, an eternal covenant. Moses was the shadow. Jesus is the substance. The only one who can represent sinful man before a holy God. Second Timothy chapter 2 calls Jesus the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so think about all the ways that the Bible presents Jesus as better than Moses. I'll mention a few. Moses spoke the word of God and he spoke it faithfully. Israel heard the word of God, not the mere word of Moses. But the Apostle John says this about the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses spoke the word. Jesus is the word of God. His name is the word of God. He is the speech of God. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. 
That's who he is. The prophet like Moses. Exodus tells us that Moses temporarily enjoyed this tremendous privilege of beholding the form of the Lord. He saw a a portion of the glory of God. In some sense, this close face-to-face encounter with the living God. But the Apostle John says this about Jesus, that from the beginning he was face-to-face with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face-to-face with God, and the Word was God. There's never a moment where the Lord Jesus Christ didn't exist outside the presence of his Father. They are one God, three persons, the eternal Trinity, the Word of God. And not only is Jesus described as the Word of God, the Bible actually calls him the final Word of God, the last Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Listen, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In other words, every word that God has ever spoken leads up to this final word, this word in the last days. God has spoken to us in His Son. So friends, what does this mean for you? That the prophet like Moses has arisen. What does this mean for you? Well, according to Deuteronomy 18, it means that you should listen to Him. That you should listen to Him. That God has sent us His beloved Son. God has sent us the eternal Word. God has preached His final sermon to humanity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what should you do? What does wisdom require of you? It requires that you listen to Him. That you listen to that prophet. That you listen to that one who is like Moses. That you listen to Him. That you would trust and obey the words of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. On the final day, the entire human race will be divided into two groups. Those who listen to the prophet like Moses and those who did not listen to the prophet like Moses. And what does Deuteronomy say? The one who rejects the word of that prophet, Moses said, God will require it of you. There will be judgment for the one who rejects the words of Jesus Christ. The one who is like Moses and yet greater than Moses. God will require it of you. Jesus speaks the very words of God. To reject the words of Christ is to reject the word of the Father. One of the scenes in the Gospels that shows us that Jesus is like Moses but he's greater is at the Mount of Transfiguration. And this holy moment where the veil was pulled back for just a moment, and the Bible says that the face of Jesus began to shine like the sun in its full strength. And all of a sudden, you know, the disciples got this glimpse of the true nature of the man from Nazareth. That is the Word, the eternal Word. That is the Son of God. And in that moment, there was a voice that came from heaven that broke through in that moment, and it was the Father's voice, and He said these words, listen to Him. Listen to Him. 
Those who listened to the voice of Moses were delivered from Egypt. But those who listen to the voice of the prophet like Moses will be delivered from death, hell, and eternal wrath. So what should you do? Friend, you should follow Jesus Christ. You should follow Jesus out of death and into life. You should listen to him. You should follow him today. You should listen to him all the days of your life. He should have all of your attention. You should listen to him. You should bank your entire life on the words of Jesus Christ. You should listen to God's final sermon to the human race. You should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your power that you revealed through prophecy and its fulfillment. And Lord, we pray today by the help of the Holy Spirit that you would make Jesus Christ precious to us, Lord, and of exceeding value and of surpassing worth. God, help us to see your glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.